Sorry, recorder people. I didn't uh, turn this on the first page of our notes, but now we are covering the Book of James. <laughs> okay. Um, I put. I gave here an outline of, of James. There's there's different kinds of outlines that could be given. James is another one of those those books that seems to at times wrap around various subjects and come back to them. Um, but there's some loose. Uh, there's a loose organization that we can find to it. Chapter 1 has to do with trials and temptations. Chapter 2 with faith and works. Chapter 3 and f- three through 5 is conflict in Christian community and then like ethical matters that that will impact you in, as the last, in the last days. Which I think for James was uh, the, the time from uh, Jesus' resurrection to his return. And I believe he would have seen those as the last days. Um, and so uh, most people, most evangelicals believe that James was written by the brother of Jesus who took a strong leadership role in the Jerusalem church but these this appears to be written to the diaspora that is to Jews that were scattered throughout the Roman Empire <clears throat> and so you can imagine James being a pillar of the church in Jerusalem wanting to be able to uh, share with Jews that have not been able to have an experience of the church in Jerusalem. And uh, anyway, I, uh, what time is it? Quarter till. Yeah. Quarter till. All right, because there's so there's several topics here in the book of James, and I don't want I want to make sure that we cover the stuff that's uh, that would be important to you. I have here an outline that just kind of summarizes the content of the book, but there's there's uh, three or four major topics we could cover, and you don't have to do it. In order, we could do with what with what uh, you guys would find most interesting. There's uh, a section on trials and temptations, and I think some connections between the way that James viewed the faith and Paul and other biblical writers viewed the faith. It wasn't just bare doctrine like these Catholic, uh, the emerging Catholic people had said. It's there's the issue of faith and works. Um, which, you know, did Paul, did James contradict Paul when Paul said you're justified by faith alone and, and James explicitly says, well, you're not justified by faith alone. Did they contradict each other? That's another topic. Um, chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4 talks about uh, conflicts in the Christian community and how to deal with them. Chapters 4 and 5 deal with last days type issues. And I, I really think chapters 3 through 5 are very much connected to each other, but in chapter 5 in particular, he deals with uh, eschatology kinds of things. He talks about the last days more frequently towards the end of the letter. So I don't know if there's any part of that you find most uh, either interesting or troubling that you would like to cover, but I'd be happy to cover any section of the book of James that, uh, first that you would find most important to you. Any thoughts? That's hard for me because before I came up here at the church where I belong, the pastor was, his preaching was, he threw a book. He'd, uh-huh. he'd do Job and then he'd do a New Testament and then he'd do an Old Testament. And, he'd, mm-hmm. and he was on James for 10 or 12 weeks mm-hmm. in the sermon, so he pretty well got it. <laughs> <laughs> and made it make sense. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole thing about 
whether James was works or not. He pretty well hammered that one into the ground. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's initially a, a problematic in, in the yeah. sense that you look at Paul and he says, see, a man is justified by faith and not by what he does. And then and then uh, James says, see, a man is justified, is not justified by faith alone. <laughs> so how does that reconcile? Mm-hmm. And I think there is a very actually simple reconciliation there. Um, how, how does anybody know? You know, I mean, especially if you're witnessing to people, how do they know um, that you're really saved if if it doesn't show up in your life? Yeah, I think that. I just had the thought that with all the trials and tribulations and what they were going through, they were probably at a point where they had to second guess whether people were Christians or not, because to tell somebody you were, you were in your life. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, watching somebody live out the faith was probably yeah very important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, are you the kind of Christian that? And, and and you're precisely right. Paul was dealing with Judaizers. He was dealing with people that said you had to be uh, obedient to the Torah if you want to be a Christian. That's probably not what these guys are struggling with. It's I'm being persecuted here. Um, how do I know I'm a Christian? How faithful do I have to be to be a Christian? Uh, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, it's 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 a troubling issue when you you know, especially when your life could be on the on the line if you confess to believe in Jesus. And also, he might be fighting the uh, antinomians. You know, mm-hmm. say, oh, well, I'm saved, I can do anything I want. You know, right. Going in that direction. He's, he may have been fighting fighting against that kind of thing. Right. Yeah, and there were there were people that, I mean, First uh, John seems to deal with people that believe this, that, you know, if you're saved, God no longer cares about how you behave, so just go ahead and do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, you know, Paul had some strong words against that, just like, First uh, John does, and just like James does, um, and it's interesting to me if you look if, 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 at James chapter two, verse twenty-three. This, uh, let's see. I, I think this is really fascinating, and, and after after learning this, this actually comes from John Calvin. And once I read this, I was like, okay, there's no problem here. <coughs> um, John twenty, uh, James chapter two, verse twenty-three. That's what he does. He says, And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And that's the exact verse that Paul quotes over and over and over again to say that justification is by faith, not by works. And But notice what he says in verse 23. He says, And the scripture was fulfilled that says. Okay, so there's some future event in, in Abraham's life that fulfills what was said in verse 23. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So let's look back at verse 21. It says, was not our answer, what was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And 
uh, and his faith was made complete by what he did. So that that's the fulfillment. So you have this. I put this little chart in, in chapter two, verse twenty-three. Just James says that Paul was justified by faith apart from works, but throughout the course of his life, from from James chapter uh, in James chapter fifteen through twenty-three, he's quoting Genesis fifteen. In James chapter two twenty-one, he's he's quoting Gen- Genesis twenty-two. Many years later, in David's in Paul's life, uh, Abraham's life, he's not talking about when God called him to say go to Canaan. It's later when he has to um, sacrifice Isaac. It's because of his obedience that his faith becomes proven genuine. And so, I think James would agree with Dave, with Paul that he was justified by faith apart from works in Genesis chapter 15. Mm-hmm. He would also say that justified people demonstrate that they are justified in Genesis chapter two, 22 by how they live. It's not that you are actually considered righteous before God because you lived a holy life. It's because those that are considered righteous before God live different lives. And by the end of their lives, you know that they've been different. And so, there's no problem here. This is exactly what Paul says. The whole book of Galatians, he's saying, justification by faith, not by works, not by works, not by works. But then in chapter 5, he says, don't go off sinning like you think that there's no... God didn't care about how you live. He says... You're supposed to bear the fruits of the spirit, and if you don't bear the fruit of the spirit in chapter six, you you know if you if you if you sow to the flesh, you reap destruction. If you sow to the spirit, you reap eternal life. Huh? Isn't that the exact same thing? <laughs> and so, um, I, it's not a problem in my mind anymore. And uh, so Calvin became the. Uh, I mean, he really was a fantastic commentator, but he had, uh, I think, the definitive solution to this problem. I suppose Luther, who just called James the Epistle a straw. <laughs> I think he changed his mind on that. I can't remember for sure, but he's famous for saying James was an Epistle of straw. Because he didn't like chapter 2. <laughs> um... Yeah, the, the problem is, as you said, people just read Calvin. The problem is he's gotten such a manufactured rep with people that yeah. they won't read him because, <laughs> that man? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, people think all he talks about is predestination, which is, you know, if you read his stuff, I mean, he talks about it. Um, but it's certainly not on every page. And his commentaries are, at least, especially for the day, they're just well beyond their time. Interestingly, uh, the, the, probably the two best commentary writers of the day were Calvin and uh, I, I should know if I should say this Servetus was an excellent exegete he was just wrong Servetus was a uh, Unitarian basically he didn't believe in the Trinity so in that sense not a very good exegete but he had a lot of things to say in terms of typology, stuff that we now still we kind of take for granted, but which were very new. And Servetus was saying it long before others were. Um, 
and uh, he got executed in Geneva for heresy. So it's kind of sad. Do you think some of the stuff James talked about came from his background of being in the same house with Jesus? Like the tongue and stuff like that? Yeah, I, I, I'm sure that's the case. I mean, it has to be. If he grew up with Jesus and probably saw Jesus um, never lash out at him, unjustly anyway. Uh, I'm just thinking he, Jesus was probably like a, a father to the younger kids, too, in a way. Probably yeah. lectured him. Right. <laughs> the, the big brother. Yeah. yeah, that, yeah. That family yeah. family dynamic. Maybe that's why they didn't write much of it down because the family dynamics must have been so different that most everybody would you know, not not believe how how things worked or yeah. how their family worked. That can't be real. They had to make that up. They couldn't have done that or they couldn't have been that way or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. It's it had to have been strange. I would think. Can yeah. you imagine Jesus playing the first century equivalent of soccer with the other boys in the village? I mean, you really. It's hard yeah. to, it's hard to twist your head around that. Right. So maybe that's why they wrap it all down. Well even that the story that we have of him when he was in the temple, mm-hmm. you know, that's just kind of an upside down story for the way most parents uh, the experiences that most parents have with their kids. <laughs> I mean, maybe we all have uh, maybe we all have stories in which you know we've walked off and left our kid in the car and like and we get halfway into the church. Juliana, ah, that's a real story. I got halfway to the church and it was in the parking lot. She was asleep. <laughs> it was oh, to run back and get her. And uh, so that uh, I mean, we can maybe identify with that. But to have him say, you know, that he's teaching the the Pharisees. <laughs> Sadducees, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and it's usually not, you know, uh, viewed as being respectful for a child to say, "I'm supposed to be about my father's business, and I'm in my dad's house," which in effect he's saying, "Joseph, you're not my dad," you know. <laughs> most most uh, parents uh, do not react positively to this kind of things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all kinds of questions need to be answered when we get the other side. How did that work? Did you put the equivalent of a playback we can watch? <laughs> so, but I think James is a great book, and you know it's interesting. And we're so concerned about legalism today, which I mean, it's right for us to be concerned. But of all the, I can't remember how many verses there are in James. Uh, it's like a hundred and something. Uh, 104 or something like that. Whatever the number of, of verses there are, equally half of them ha- are commands. There are as many. If there's 104 verses. There's 52 commands in the in the book of James. <laughs> He's very concerned about your behavior, but um, but also I think very concerned about your heart. Because I love the way it begins by asking us to uh, consider our um, our faith and to let the trials that we experience in our faith produce endurance by the Spirit. 
that will lead to eternal life. And it's the same process. It's faith, uh, faith produces trials, produces endurance, produces eternal life or perfection. It's repeated throughout the, um, uh, the New Testament in different terms. Romans says, faith produces endurance, produces praise, glory, and honor before God. <clears throat> or Peter says, faith produces trials and sufferings. Uh, which also produces glory and honor before God. I'm sorry, um, Romans was faith produce, faith and justification produce endurance, which gives us approval before God and peace with Him. Sorry about that. Second Peter, faith produces virtue, knowledge, and self-control, which then produces endurance, which then is productive to give us uh, a welcome into God's kingdom. So there's something about faith giving you the strength to handle. It also, in some ways, creates persecution because if you claim to be a believer, you're going to be persecuted in, in, in many places in the Roman Empire during this time. So uh, so faith can produce this kind of trial, but also give, the, give you the endurance to go through it so that we reap the reward at the end. Just, we don't think that way very often. Yeah? It just—it just seems to me because I've been a Christian for so long that God makes me wait for most things I pray for. Yeah. Wow. Like years and years and years. So yeah, I—I I see that. Richard Pratt at, at Third Mill. He's the founder. He used to be a professor at RTS. I guess he's coming back to teach a class. Um, but he used to say, you know, there's. <laughs> When he, when, in his more critical moments, he used to talk about, you know, RTS, we can't be a legitimate seminary. Not a single graduate of our seminary has ever been martyred. <laughs> How can we call ourselves wow. Christian if we haven't been martyred? Well, the story hasn't been totally told yet, <laughs> yeah. so... Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I think, you know, he's exaggerating to make a point, but I think the point is valid. You know, we, I think the ideal that we have in a lot of ways is we become Christians, and as we grow and mature, we become more, have a stable family life, and kids grow up to be successful, and they become pastors and other full-time Christian ministers or whatever, and and then you retire, and you spend all your time with your grandkids, and then you die and go to heaven. And that's a great American dream, and I I find myself wrapped up in it, and I want to have my 401k in place <laughs> so that when I get to be 65, I can spend all my time with my grandkids. And I'm not saying it's totally wrong, but I just that's not this. <laughs> no. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the more mature in our faith, we ought to be uh, sold out for God's kingdom in such a way that it might bring trouble upon our retirement plans. And um, we might live different lives. Uh, than the American dream. <clears throat> so I, I just think there's a lot to say about this notion that, you know, if we're a church, how come we don't have see Americans being martyred all the time? Because we don't go to places that might cost us our lives. I went to, uh, when I, I was a candidate with Pioneers, uh, before I went out, right after I graduated from seminary, I was planning on going overseas. And uh, this guy, it was on the same candidate training, 
program that I was in. He was Korean, Korean American, I guess, and he had joined Pioneer same time I had going to the training. He was planning on going to an area of I think Uzbekistan, where the Russians had dumped all their um, radioactive waste. And there are people living there. Mm-hmm. Average life expectancy there was 25, 30 years or something like that. People were dying left and right, cancer. And uh, missionaries that went there, their life expectancy, once they went there, was six or eight years. Or so. I can't remember the numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, the numbers might be off. But uh, he was not planning on being there more than 10 years. He was planning on dying there. And, uh, you know, I admire his courage and his faith and determination that these people need Jesus enough to go there and die to give it to them. I might also question the wisdom of his approach because he was just going and sharing Jesus with them and not figuring out how to clean up the radioactive waste that's causing them to die. <laughs> I think that might be a part of the program. Um, but I think, I think we've, we've missed a little bit of that in the way we view the mission of the church. That the mission is worth giving our lives for. So, and I see that. I think that's in James. I think it's in the general epistles. Because they were dealing with persecution. They were, you know, when, when Nero was taking Christians and hanging them up on poles to light them on fire as you were entering into Rome... Uh, this is maybe a little bit before Nero's time. But still, when that stuff's going on, you're not arguing about worship music. You know? The stupid things we fight about, they just don't matter when that's your situation. And and, and that's why you know, I just think the general epistles have a lot to offer to us because they kind of get us back to what's really important <laughs> rather than the kinds of stuff we like to argue about. So that's all I got to say about that. Any thoughts or questions? Sorry for only giving you 22 minutes. <laughs> well, we argue about those things because we don't have something to sharpen our focus. Mm-hmm. Really. So, yeah, and, and um, all the denominations are in uproar about various politically related or, you know, the civil rights issues or mm-hmm. the uproar that's going on is, um, and I don't know whether that's to block those denominations from going back to Jesus sidetrack them on, on those issues so they won't concentrate on the main issue or people just love to argue or yeah. all of the above right yeah people argue in unproductive ways I think about stuff that even is really important like like a, a pro-life issue is an example for me. There needs to be people that go about uh, the legal process of trying to get their laws in our country changed, and so I'm not saying that that's not important. It is, but uh, that what's going to change our country isn't so much isn't the laws being changed, because the laws can change. People will just find illegal ways to do what they want to do. Um, but it's the, you know, what if every church had a crisis pregnancy center or something like that that they supported and where they can have a real impact in the lives of unwed mothers or at least mothers that don't want to have their 
children. It seems to me that life, their lives will be transformed a whole lot more than just if we fight about what the laws ought to be. Mm. You know? So I, I think UPC is good in that they focus on manna. Mm-hmm. And I like being able to go and do the homeless with the acres there because mm-hmm. you know they've got the structure to make it work and yeah. actually help these people. And I like those service days where you yeah. get out there and get people actually seeing what it means. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm really hoping that the uh, as we do the Saturdays of service, that people will develop relationships with these groups that we're developing these partnerships with and start volunteering on a weekly or a monthly basis. I think it'd be really great, you know, that we start living for the residents of Bithro or the, the residents of Eastern Lambda that are homeless um, so we can have an impact in their lives and see their lives change. I think that would be, it'd be great that our church is known for what we do for the homeless not just that it's a social thing that we do, but it is that, but it's more than that, that it's also very Christian. Have you ever been? Uh, no, I, I, on the first the Sunday of service, I, I was back here, because I, physically I can't do a lot of walking, a lot of other things that are, are useful in man that is, sense. Man is not physically taxing, and it's good, I like it. And, the, it and then I have a few... Uh, Transportation issues part of the time. It's it further complications yeah. with the whole thing. It's sort of like, yeah. how about I, let's see, how am I as a prayer, prayer warrior? Um, which is but like even the joy group, getting the older people and the younger kids together so that the younger kids can learn. Mm-hmm. There's things like that I just I enjoy seeing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. There's a lady at... Um, I met her at the Bithlow uh, School Building, which is the United Global Outreach. She had to come home from the field. She doesn't go to our church. She goes to another church. She had to come home from the field for health reasons. And so she, she, I can't remember where she wanted to be or where she was, but um, she came home, and she, now she just she does Bithlow. Every, every week she's there cooking meals and stuff. So... The lady that started Bible Study Fellowship wanted mm-hmm. to be in China, and God called her home. And so she started a small Bible study with girls, and it just blossomed. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting how God, this is a chain that he often uses. Not that we want it. Mm-hmm. We'd rather do something else. Yeah. I, I, I think it has the benefit of kind of reorienting ourselves. I think this is very easy, and I, I don't think this is an American only an American thing. That we we all want, you know, out of life to have a pleasurable life, where we don't have to worry about our where we're going to get our next meal. We don't have to worry about who's going to take care of us when we can't take care of ourselves. We don't have to worry about when I'm going to see my grandkids. We want to have families that we, you know, we grow up. Our kids grow up. We want to maintain relationships with them. We want them to come and see us. We want, you know, we want all those things, and they're all, they're not bad things um, at all. <clears throat> but they're all wrapped around pleasure. And um, 
rather than seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. And there are pleasurable things about seeking first his righteousness in the present time. I think it's pleasurable to to go to Bithlo or to go to Banna. There's something that's really enjoyable about giving our lives away. It's just not a... It's a different kind of joy. I don't know if you guys knew I had a cancer struggle a couple years back. But when you go through that and God talks you down pretty much, kind of like health issues you've got, um, there's there's times where you just realize God wants you to be before he wants you to do. Sometimes he knocks you down to, to be. Yeah. If you're not going to take the time for yourself, I'll make you take the time. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, prayer's not something you just do normally. Right. Yeah, we we got knocked down. You know, I would kind of mm-hmm. when we moved down here it was probably one of the hardest times of our marriage, and uh, not like it wasn't so much marital troubles. It was just the situational changes of moving uh, from Maryland to here and having school issues and. Uh, just everything. Everything was a was a mess for a year, and I just didn't want to. I didn't want to. I mean, I wanted to come to church, but I just kind of wanted to sit and be anonymous. I didn't want to teach. I didn't want to do anything. And but finally, uh, a friend of mine just said, "You need to talk to somebody." So Mike uh, Osborne and I have been meeting every week, and it's been really helpful for me to kind of fall in love with being in church again. And wanting to contribute <laughs> so that's why I'm I'm uh, teaching this stuff again and uh, this, I had kind of withdrawn from community mm. and then because of that withdrawn from living with a sense of mission because I, mean, I could I could always justify myself and say well I go to work and I make materials for uh, the third world that's my mission then I'm going to come home and I can I, I kind of fulfill my duty but I, um, I don't know. Just over after a year of that, I just couldn't do it anymore. I had to get out there again. So that significant woman Bible study is really good. Yeah. Susan Heckman helped write it. Yeah. Life changes. Yeah. Life's Several of my friends, I just need to read it rather than tell people that others recommended it to me, but there's several of my friends have recommended to me this book called Radical by, uh, what's that guy's name? He's the pastor of a church up in Birmingham, but he's not PCA. Platt? Yeah, I've heard that. Uh, Platt, something like that. Anyway, the, I think the book is just called Radical. And it's about it's about this kind of stuff. <clears throat> and uh, every time I talk about this kind of stuff, they tell they ask me if I people ask me if I read the book, and I say no, I haven't. Well, you really need to. So I can't fully recommend it because I haven't read it, but apparently I need to. <laughs> so yeah, I, I tend to read other uh, probably. Well, I don't think it's as helpful, but the, um, I'm writing a lot on Bonhoeffer. Mm-hmm. And and his life and his impact and why he made the choices he made and everything, and, yeah. uh, and then you pick your eyes up and look at what's going around on around you. Go, oh, can I duck somewhere? 
Yeah. 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 But if, if, we an if we need another one, where where's he where's he going to come from? Yeah. Yeah. Bonhoeffer is another good example of a guy that faced persecution and uh, lived faithfully, and look what God's done with his life. Yeah. <laughs> I remember reading something on a. Um, Lucer type things. He can't be a Christian. He wouldn't have participated in that stuff against Hitler. He can't be a Christian anymore. Well, maybe it's not the choice you would have made, and he struggled with it a lot. But look, who he was look who they were facing. Mm-hmm. If there's anybody but come as close to the idea of the Antichrist as as you can think about, that would be Hitler. Yeah, it's hard to think of anybody. Stalin. Well, the only yeah, other guy. yeah, Hitler and <coughs> all the things that have come out about the the pagan religion he was trying to establish, along with everything else. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, because Erwin Luther's book, Hitler's Cross, talks about the whole thing with the, with the church. Um, that Hitler was out to get the church and replace it, and that was when Bonhoeffer stood up to him started to stand up at that point. Mm-hmm. And then it just... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are others... That no. Oh, yeah. yeah it, he's, he's risen to such fame or infamy, really, is probably the way to say it. He's, he's, a, he's a poster child of antichrist behavior. <laughs> I mean, there are others. I mean, oh, yeah. In, uh, what's his... I remember the guy's name in... Um, Rwanda. Rwanda or Uganda. Any of me? No, he's uh, Uganda. Rwanda with the uh, um, ethnic cleansing, the Tutus and the Hutis. I mean, killed. Yeah. I don't remember how many people. The 20th century certainly produced many hideous examples. You know, you know what's really sad about the whole Tutu Huti thing in, in Rwanda is uh, they're actually not two ethnic groups. They're, they are the same, they're a homogenous ethnic group with the same cultural heritage, same ethnic backgrounds. But when the Dutch came in and tried to, and took over, colonized the area, they uh, they saw the 